Slow Burn is a production of... There I am. Rock me like a hurricane. Ah! The song that ended the Cold War. Rock me like a hurricane. Hello. I'm uh, speaking from the back area. I've got a halo right now. Looking quite orthodox. Looking like a, uh, like a vision from heaven. Descended onto earth to judge the wicked and the righteous. But no, it's just golden time here in the backyard. Just off the bat, just want to clarify something for some people. Uh, after the last stream I did with Chris where we were back here batting it back and I talked about how we want to do that on, uh, in the office with maybe some games thrown in. I won't be doing that and not doing solo streams. I will, maybe I will do a few, I won't do necessarily as many, but I will still try to do at least one or two a week, even if we do stuff with uh, the office and the video game rig. So don't worry, if you still like me staring puzzledly into the chat with, and not saying anything, and kind of just staring and hearing some birds chirp and somebody hooting and hollering and a siren and then I say something about the Noid, don't worry, uh, that'll still be available. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously imagining it being wet-ass party, you know, and the reference being the, the popular song of the moment and the grand old party, so it's two adjectives. Someone asked if there's a dialectical uh, resolution of the CGI practical effects um, problem, and sadly, I don't. Not in the way that you're imagining. Not in the way that I would that we would want. Uh, I think the way it get, it's, it gets solved is people just don't. That's all they expect, and the context becomes one where everything is like that, and so good and bad are contained within the concept of digital. So. It'll be beside the point. So that's the way it's going to resolve. Like a way of keeping them both vital, impossible, because of the money. Like even having real guns. Somebody told me after I was talking about squibs that it's almost impossible to have actual firearms on movie sets anymore. Like the reason that they just have them pretend to have 
uh, recoil and then put in the flashes and the sounds later is that those aren't real guns, they're rubber guns. Because the insurance and the price of having a guy on set who can secure the firearm are, are prohibitive. Prohibitive from the point of view of making the movie profitable, which is of course the only consideration. And with that being the case, it'll never make economic sense to have real guns on the set. There's no aesthetic argument you can make that can overturn the basic math. So I'm afraid it shan't be happening as much as we'd like to imagine it. I mean, what do you mean? You mean like, oh, you know, after a while they just started CGIing the guns entirely. And now I really want those movies where they have the rubber gun. Oh, those are the really good ones. Yeah, when they're having the rubber gun and pretending to, to, uh, to have recoil, that's so much better than the CGI guns that fake recoil themselves. You can tell. And that becomes the, the, the remnant of the practical effects culture. Apparently there was a shooting at the White House. I'm honestly stunned that's the first time this has happened, just because of how high the temperature is politically in the last four years. People took a shot at Bill Clinton like every two weeks. There was a guy, I remember a video of it, there was this guy who showed up with a fucking trench coat and a fucking, or maybe I'm imagining the trench coat, but it was definitely a semi-auto and he just raked the side of the White House while running back and forth before he got tackled. Uh, and... That was only one of like two or three. And then there was a guy who landed an airplane on the White House lawn during, the, during his presidency. It's weird. Now that everything is so much more intense and politi politics is so much more polarized and, and uh, you know, has an edge of conflict to it and so much more dominant of people's day-to-day -day lives and self-conceptions than it was in the 90s, very few people have uh, tried to take a shot at Trump. Maybe it's because extreme, like, paranoid mindsets that get activated by politics would not, almost by definition, be activated against Trump. But I can't believe that's true. There's got to be some people who have, uh, who have oriented their psyche to an un unhealthy degree uh, against Donald Trump. And yet, nobody, until whoever this is, and we don't even know what the deal is, who knows? What country has the best shape? I always thought Chile was sort of adorable. It's like, how the hell is that a country? What are you doing?
Uh, somebody asked, how, how do you understand, uh, how do you explain the idea that I've said a while ago, and I don't even know if I would necessarily even agree with this now that I've like refined my thinking on things, that consciousness, you're conscious to the degree that you perceive time. And I would say, just as a quick example of what I mean by that, I can't really elaborate because like I said, I'm not sure, I'm still working on all this stuff. But, so, they're like... The, the, the matrix of reality, the universe, whatever you want of it, is composed of energy, right? It's, it's just energy. It's one sub substance moving at different uh, speeds, i.e. It's, it's matter and time. Those are the two things. It's matter and time. It's energy transferring through states. And there are objects in space. There are inanimate objects in space. They do not, they experience no time. Uh, lower orders of animals experience the present and a bit of the past and uh, humans because of their ability to take a bunch of information in turn it into memories and associations and patterns eventually can perceive or at least imagine the future which allows them to move in what they imagine to be free will because they're moving towards a future that they have pictured in their head. So they can perceive future as an axis of time in a way that less evolved animals can't. And it is a continuum, of course, from human down. It's not and or. So it's degree two. That's what I mean. But of course they're all the same thing. It's just... Objects perceive them in different ways, or fail, or don't perceive them. I just watched The Hidden a, a month or so ago. It was awesome. Uh, I still don't think Kyle MacLachlan's a good actor, but that movie rules, and it's just a smorgasbord of, of practical effects and real car chases in a movie that couldn't have been more than a, a, a couple million dollar budget in the 80s. I did see Cube, and I gotta say, that movie's reputation rests, it seems to me, almost entirely on the scene where the guy gets chopped up by the wires, because the rest of the movie has barely any Cube ownage at all. It's just a bunch of people with Canadian accents yelling at each other, and then narrowly avoiding getting chopped into Cubes. Did not enjoy. Under, underrate, uh, uh, over, over delivered by the people who had previously uh, praised it. So it's No the Blob, which I just rewatched last night because people were reminding me of the Blob. I will watch the new Dune movie. I'll watch the new Dune movie on like a fucking uh, on a, on an Apple Watch or whatever. That and Tenet. It's going to be great. <sighs> Kamala just unfollowed Biden. I saw that. Girl, I need the tea. Someone spill it. I gotta say, if they don't pick her, I will be surprised because that seems like the smart move. 
and they're really just playing prevent defense here, which is kind of surprising. So I kind of still think it will be them. It will be her just because it's the, it's the what they would perceive as the lowest, uh, per, like the highest percentage play, in that it has the lowest uh, per chance of having a spectacular or unintended negative consequence. Whereas Kamala Harris doesn't change anything or make anything interesting, but that's in their mind enough. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be Mayor Pete. It would be hilarious because all the people who have been saying, you know, Biden's intersectional, uh, Biden is listening to women, and he has to listen to women and all that, or, or he has to recognize BLM and, and, get, and have a black or a female or both VP. They will, I don't even know if they'll even be able to have one second of expressed public anger because the immediate question will be, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is nothing. They're not going to do a fucking thing. They can't do shit. They've already said that. Uh, I do hope it's somebody from left field, because Kamala is just such a boring pick. I'm already snoozing thinking about it. Give me somebody interesting. Yeah, I think uh, Pete, I mean, I'm assuming that Pete got offered a relatively high cabinet pot spot for his, uh, what do you call it, endorsement and dropping out when he, was in second, when he was in second place. I mean, there is logic to it. It wasn't just a strong arming because I think anybody with eyes could see that even though Mayor Pete had, was doing well in some sort of, in, in just the sense of his performance to that point, he pretty clearly had no path forward. He just did not have any support outside of upper, like middle and upper class white people. And that never changed. The hope was maybe a surprise Iowa win could like win people over, but it didn't happen. People were still stuck in with Biden. So it was a, you could argue that it was a rational response, uh, but he certainly wouldn't have done it for anything less than a significant offer. Maybe defense. I mean, he'd have to want, he'd want something in the cabinet because he knows he can't get an, he will not win another office in Indiana. He cannot win a statewide race in Indiana. And, and at, his, at this point, uh, Congress is sort of a, uh, Congress is sort of a step down. He's not just the descendant of a Gramsci scholar. A Gramsci scholar was his dad. Apparently not a very good Gramsci scholar, but I have no first-hand knowledge. Just passing along uh, tea that I heard and then slipped and then spilled. I sipped it, then I spilled it. What would it take for a glue Indiana? Indiana's gone, folks. It's head. It's gone. In Ohio is going to turn into Indiana. It's a demographic thing. Uh, like, the young people move out of the state, leaving only a, a shrinking core of older and older, empty nest, uh, uh, white, rural, and suburban people. 
And over time, they're going to get more and more Republican. So yeah, Ohio's going to turn into Indiana. I, I mean, it, even if they if we're able to pull off an election with any kind of any kind of legitimacy to it in, in November, and I think that is a significant if, and I have no idea what that would mean. And and Biden wins big, wins back Florida, hell, wins Arizona. He could win Arizona, I think, and even Georgia maybe, and lose Ohio. I mean, there is a real thing, there is a real consequence to all the young, college-educated white people who make up uh, th- that like young cadre who is supposed to save, the, uh, save us from our older reactionary uh, citizens, that they all move to the same cluster of blue state big cities. Is it states like Ohio slowly get uh, drained of everybody but the most re- recrudescent uh, remainder. The ones who don't move to Arizona, anyway. Indiana was always a Republican state, but I think I'm just saying Ohio is in the in the direction of turning towards there. Because Ohio used to have Ohio had that Rust Belt upper area, Cleveland and such, with its. Uh, with its ethnic, its white ethnic Democrats. Glasses versus contacts, that's not a hard one. I will never wear, I've never worn contacts a day, I never got them. I never, I never got a subscription, a prescription for contacts, never worn contacts. Never had any desire to stick my finger in my eyeball. You gotta imagine if Biden does win that people are gonna take shots at him all the time. There's gonna be a Q guy with a fucking, uh, like a bunch of fire extinguishers strapped to his chest, jumping on him at every public event. I do think if Trump does pull something in the election around, around, around mail-ins or something, you could see an actual secessionist movement start. I don't think it would be anything like what you'd see if Biden wins in terms of military brinksmanship, but I think you would see like an attempt by big state blue governors to sort of create a state within a state to establish, as they call it, real dual power and become co-equal to the government, to the federal government, if not exceeding it in authority, which would then raise a, a specter of conflict. Be interesting. I would never do LASIK. My God, laser ball, laser, lasering my eyeballs. No, thank you. Party, party of zero for that. Spicy ketchup. You're talking about fucking. Uh, you're talking about barbecue sauce. Ketchup is ketchup. 
I do think it would be funny, though, and this is a real possibility. Trump just steals the thing the way everyone sees him setting out to do, and people just go, no. And like the entire media freaks out, right, because it's mostly anti-Trump and, and pro-norms. The entire media goes nuts. Half the country freaks out. And then everyone is waiting for someone else to do something, and he just does it. And nothing. And it's like, well, I mean, no one actually... Everyone said it was awful, but nobody made any kind of coherent movement to stop it. And so it just happened. Wow, that's crazy. The ta- Someone's asking about the Taiping Rebellion, a fascinating event. Uh, something like 30 million people died in the 1860s in China, basically because a guy f- failed the SATs and freaked out. A guy who wanted to, who was going to be, who wanted to be a a, a Mandarin, to be a, to be a bureaucrat in the in the Manchu state, which was basically the only way that you could get out of the peasant class. One of the very few, anyway, was to take this uh, series of rigorous exams, which basically involved memorizing Confucian texts and then repeating them. Uh, he failed it. He failed it a bunch of times, and then he failed it one more, one too many times, and he had a complete breakdown. And he was uh, in a bed for months with a fever and hallucinations. And at the end of it, he uh, announced that he was Jesus Christ's younger Chinese brother. And that it was his duty to unify China under his rule, to create a heavenly kingdom on earth. And he set about organizing the landless Hakka peasantry of southern China, which are people who had historically lived in the northern part of China, but been driven south over the years by mostly the conflict with the steppe tribes over the successive centuries, and become a, a, a sort of a permanent a rural, a rural proletariat, the closest thing you could call one anyway, uh, in southern China. And he was able to organize him around his weird syncretic Christianity, but also along the axis of expelling, uh, of, of, of redistributing land to the peasants and expelling the, the, the Manchu uh, king rulers because the Qing dynasty was not ethnically Han. The, the Qing dynasty had been one of those steppe uh, tribes in Manchuria that had actually been invited into China uh, to help uh, s- keep the, uh, I think, the Ming Empire from falling. And then, over the course of their intervention, they just took over because they were the stronger party. Uh, and they were the ones who instilled the, the long, the queue, the hair as a mandatory for men, and, you know, and, and discriminated against, especially in government, against, uh, against Han, to some degree. And... Those, those motivations worked, and they ended up creating this gigantic peasant army that established a multi-year uh, imperium uh, in sev- central China. And this was the, around the same time that the, the, the Chinese, that the empire was getting torn apart. It it's, it's, uh, was being opened up at the, at the barrel of a, a cannon to foreign trade by the Opium Wars. Uh, and there were also simultaneous outbreaks uh, and revolts among uh, Western uh, Muslims. Uh, the yellow, uh, yeah, no, that's a different one. Uh, red turban, I think. Not, not yellow. That was earlier. Uh, and it went on for years, and they conquered huge swaths of central uh, central China, and they uh, 
put to flight hundreds of thousand man armies established to defeat them. Uh, and But eventually they were able to... This was something that probably in, in, in Chinese history had traditionally been a, the, the pattern. The traditional Chinese historical pattern is you have an empire establish itself uh, over some part of China and, and have a relatively stable uh, uh, social relationship for hundreds of years. Then through a lot of times it's just good old-fashioned uh, weather change, climate shifts, but uh, war, with, or war, war with the steppe people or whatever, legitimacy is the mandate of heaven is lost, uh, and there is a popular uprising that installs a new imperial uh, line. Uh, and this was very much in line with that, and, and the king was about as discredited as any regime could be, but uh, I recently read a book that makes the argument that the, in, the thing that allowed the king to, un, to persist beyond its natural life cycle was Western intervention, because there was a period uh, where the West was watching uh, the rebellion, where they were kind of sympathetic to the Taiping because, like, hey, the guy's a Christian. Hey, and they, they and and the, the Taiping uh, government had support in in halls of government by people who like saw it as a way to open up China to foreign trade. And he was very, and and the uh, the uh, Hong the, uh, the the heavenly king was very solicitous of Western uh, help because he was he thought of himself as a Christian. But it turns out he was a little bit too loopy of a Christian, and what the Western powers really wanted more than anything was continuity and uh, and stability. And they figured the easiest way to get that was by backing the Manchu, and that helped beat back a rebellion, which probably, honestly, by normal circumstances, should have been successful in overthrowing the regime, or would have in the past anyway. But now China was part of a global system that allowed this exogenous force to come in and help determine things. But of course, they didn't last too much longer because first they were overthrown by Sun Yat-sen, and then the whole thing got overturned uh, by Mao. And if you want to get too facile about it, you could say that, that uh, the Chinese Communist Revolution is sort of a replaying of the Taiping in that it was an attempt to organize the landless southern peasantry because the Hakka peasants also formed the backbone of, of Mao's Red Army that did the Long March and eventually won the war. Uh, organizing them along, along economic, along axis of, of land uh, disputes and land resentment of, of, the, famous, of the landlords who, who dictated the, the life terms of this rural proletariat, uh, but organized along a a, synth a synthetic ideology that incorporates a, a Western ideological interve in uh, innovation. Christianity with the Taiping, uh, communism, Marxism, rather, uh, with the, the Chinese Communist Party.
uh, was China right to wall off the internet? I would say that that restrictions on the internet should not be considered some sort of horrifying imposition. Uh, they they should be considered a necessary element of just public policy to maintain public well-being. Although I don't necessarily think that content should be the access uh, of of uh, repression. It should be a, a time accessing. I would say that needs to be choked significantly. That is a, that's, that that presents a social uh, uh, danger that needs to be confronted and needs to be uh, understood to be part and parcel to the maintenance and functioning of a society. And it would be, and it's felt differently. Like, think about that. Like, the Chinese-style thing where there's a ton of stuff you can't access, that feels like a actual repression. That feels like I'm being denied something. But if you do not wall off content, but you do limit time, you have functionally limited the amount of stuff you can access, the amount of the internet you can access, because you're going to have less time to do so. But it doesn't feel like a, as much, in my opinion, or it shouldn't feel as much like a, uh, a repressive in- infliction on you, imposition on you, because there's still, hypothetically, all that out there to be accessed. But, again, I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, wouldn't that allow rich people to purchase time from people and live there forever? Okay, fine. I mean, sure. I, I mean, presumably, once again, none of these are proposed to be in lieu of actual socialism. So presumably you would not have like the same class of billionaire Draculas that we have now. But even if you still had income inequality, if somebody wants to pay to spend more time on the internet, you are still creating a... Uh, you're still creating a rationing system. For most people, they're not going to want to spend the time, but the ones who do are going to be limited by how much money they have to do so. Yeah, people don't ask to see my feet anymore. I remember that used to be a big thing. Uh, And I will say again, you are all lucky that I resisted your importations because it would have been very nasty for everyone.
Will there be another election live stream? That's a good question. It'll probably have to be in a bunker or something. But yeah, I pro we'll probably do something. I will not be drinking uh, rum. That much I know. I'll be, I'll be white claws only. I have found in practice that it's essentially impossible for me to really get too turned off white claws. If I'm drinking them at a normal pace, they metabolize almost instantly, and I just get kind of a little bit of a, just a little bit of a frisson, and nothing much beyond that. So it like it's self-regulating. So I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be balls deep in claws on election night to prevent a recap of the last unpleasantness. Yes, people are spamming that photograph, uh, the the meme of me looking looking quite despondent in my plastic boater. My thoughts on Belarus. Good luck and good game. I hope I hope everyone has fun. I'm going to do the face. I'm going to do the sad face. Thoughts on uh, leftists getting their shits together. Fitness, skills, mental fitness. Yes, of course. And that's all stuff you can pursue if you're not on the internet. But that's why I never tell anybody to log off completely. Because it's impossible. It's all about reclaiming time. Reclaiming percentage of your day. And then having to answer the question of what to do now. There's usually something. Just too much time. It's too easy to just not have to ask the question. We should do it. We have no plans to do an Avatar uh, episode. But you know what? I think the next time we want to do a movie, I will suggest it. Because I think it would be really good. Because uh, I think I'm kind of halfway... I'm halfway to Felix because I really do think Jim Cameron is a once in a, a lifetime movie genius just because he, he is singular. There is no other director of his stature who produces the, uh, who is as involved in the production, is as much of an auteur. I guess that's the thing about Cameron is that when it comes to big budget directors, he is the single most comprehensive auteur among them. And of course, the card auteur theory is very problematic, and even in his case, it's not true. But there is still something interesting and creatively, in my opinion, creatively uh, admirable about somebody who takes on that many tasks and performs them with that level of kind of stunning facility. You know, you can make fun of his movies all you want, but there's a basic craftsmanship and skill to even his most eye-rolling endeavors that is lacking in directors who have far fewer responsibilities. Because, like, the guys you would name to go along with Cameron, uh, Nolan, uh, Spielberg, Lucas, maybe, maybe, maybe Guillermo del Toro, after, or no, not del Toro, uh, Peter Jackson for sure, uh, not del Toro. Uh, maybe if he had done that, uh, maybe if he'd actually done the Hobbit movie instead of uh, running away from the project because there wasn't any room for tentacle monsters to jack anyone off. You must, you must allow me to have the 
delicious tentacle creature, Jackoff Fro uh, Frodo Baggins, and also, uh, uh, no, it's not Frodo, it's, uh, it's Bilbo, whatever, all of the hobbits, and all of the orcs, and all of the beautiful dwarves must be jacked off by the tentacle creature. Michael Bay is actually, yeah, Michael Bay is in the list. None of those guys write their own material. None of those guys write their own stuff. Maybe they contribute ideas and, like, some dialogue. I'm sure that they're all hands-on to some degree, but it's not to the degree that they get writing credits. And these guys are voracious credit seekers, so clearly they would not have... They didn't do that much. He fucking writes his own movies. Almost by himself. He, he creates cameras in order to get shots that he wants. Uh, it's a sing it, No one else does it. And so therefore, you can't even compare him to anybody else. He's beyond good or evil in terms of filmmaking because he has transcended the categories by embodying like an entire mode of, uh, of creativity that almost no one else can be said to equal. Man, that Kubrick movie would have been something. Especially because apparently it is not, uh, as it shouldn't be, it wasn't a biopic. It was like, I think the, it was either, I think, there, I think it was set during, I haven't read it, but I've heard it, I think it was set, if someone can correct me if I'm wrong, it's set during the retreat from Moscow, I think. Which, perfect. That's the time. That's the time to get the guy in a moment that reflects an entire life. And with Nicholson as Napoleon, come on, that's crazy. It's good to know that he wasn't thinking of making Ryan O'Neill Napoleon, because while Ryan O'Neill can get away with being a vapid playboy with no substance, because that's what he was, he could not have pulled off Napoleon. What? It is his whole life? Fuck. Well, never mind then. That's a bad idea. I'm trying to think of where... If I was going to make a Napoleon movie, what I would want to make it about. Because, like, Retreat from Moscow makes sense, but I don't think it's what I would want it to be if I was making it. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't do Retreat from Moscow. I think I would want him in Ascent. I would want him in Ascent or at, like, a moment of, of, of greatest power to, like, prefigure the, the, the decline rather than reflect on, on it. Uh, Egypt would be interesting. I think I would want something after the coup. Or maybe the coup itself. The coup is actually a really interesting story. You could do it as, like, a, as like a, uh, as like a ticking clock thriller. There's a movie about uh, Napoleon at St. Helena. I think it's called uh, Mr. N or something with Ian Holm, if I'm not mistaken. So there's already a exiled Napoleon movie. The Whiff of Grapeshot would be really interesting. 
the way he negotiated his spot, you could do that as like a mini tableau of his whole, his like ambition, uh, ability, a strategic acumen, uh, charisma, ability to spot the main chance, the ability to like triangulate, but him like negotiating the best deal out of, uh, uh, out of like leading the, the repulsion of the, of the, of the, re- of the, uh, of the riot or whatever you want to call it, the Royalist Rebellion, ending with him just smoking the shit out of a bunch of them. Uh, I think that would be good too. Yeah, maybe you start with him in Egypt, like where he's. Yeah, okay. This is. I think this is what I would want to do. You start in Egypt with him selling this failure of the siege of Acre as a triumph as he like marches back into Cairo in defeat. But like, yeah, no, this was, was awesome. We're doing great. And then he uh, negotiates his way out at like, hey guys, we're coming back. It's going to be great. And so you've got like the knowledge that he's not going to come back and the absurdity of it, but then also just how no one doubts it because of his magnetic charisma. Uh, then he gets back, and then the, go- the middle, mo- middle of the movie could be him negotiating with, like, Abay Sayas and Bara. Bara would be an amazing character in a film. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, ends with, like, the third act is, is the coup. Uh, with his, like, the part with his brother saving his ass, the whole thing. I think that'd be good. That'd be interesting. But I think if I was going to do a movie about, um, if I was going to do a movie about, Amer- about like, 16, 1700s, like, early modern period, I would do it about Bacon's Rebellion. 1676. And one of the most interest, one of the top reasons I would like that, somebody reminded me of a, a field in England, and this would kind of be like a, uh, the idea would be like a, uh, I think maybe a more politically pointed American field in England, because the soldiers who went to suppress Bacon's Rebellion, which was a early cross-racial, like, proto-proletarian revolt among uh, uh, indentured servants and, and like the the early the early fl- social flotsam that would turn into the American proletariat rebelling against colonial authority uh, before the racial caste system had really been established where you saw like you know actual cross racial cooperation uh, the the British soldiers who went to uh, uh, suppress it they literally got whacked out on a a hallucinogenic poisonous weed uh, called jimson weed or devil's weed. And I wanted to read this quote uh, about one of the commanders about the troops. He says, uh, It was a very pleasant comedy, for they turned natural fools upon it for several days. One would blow up a feather in the air, another would dart straws at it with much fury, and another, stark naked, would sit up in a corner like a monkey grinning and making moes of them. I think that would be interesting.
But of course, the other part of it is that Bacon's Rebellion was also motivated by a desire to be more in conflict with the native tribes. So, class is funny in America. So you'd have that, you'd have that part of it too, of course. I think you can make a very good comedy about Prince Rupert of the Rhine. Because he was a classic uh, kind of a opera buffet, uh, just rich uh, Fauntleroy. He fought, he was brave, but it was a classic thing where these guys, the chivalry had, the concept of chivalry had so lobotomized them that they couldn't distinguish behaviors by anything other than their uh, personal uh, whiff of grandeur. He blew at least one battle uh, in the English Civil War because he just wouldn't stop his guys. He just kept charging off the field. I have to watch. Uh, someone's asking about Von Trier. I, on general, like. I'm on balance. I like Van, uh, Lars Von Trier. Uh, I haven't really loved any of his movies, though, I don't think. I respect the man, certainly. Haven't seen the serial killer movie yet, though. It's on Hulu now. I think I will soon. Best movie streaming platform, they're all dog shit. It's tremendously awful. Perfect, perfect proof that we live in a consumer-oriented society where all of the indignities we're supposed to endure are justified by the fact that they provide us with this limitless choice of dog shit. Man, I haven't seen Repo Man since I was in high school, I don't think. It, I didn't, it wasn't one of those movies that stuck with me. I should rewatch it, though. Because I remember watching it out of... I went through the phase, like, I'm, I'm going to get culture. I read the books that people said were very good, and I went and saw the good movies that I could get a hold of, and that was one of the, like, cla uh, oh, this is a cult classic. And I was like, okay, that's fine, but it never really hit me. i got to rewatch it. I, I mean, I, I've watched Walker more recently, speaking of Alex Cox, than I've seen Repo Man.
I will admit now another deficiency. Someone's asking about the Trailer Park Boys. I watched one episode, and I was like, okay, I didn't really watch any more of it. I get that you got to stick with it for a while, but I just didn't feel the need. I didn't have an aching hole. I, I, I've seen all the memes, and at no point have I felt I need this in my life. Just a preference, man. Just the way things are. You know, in the uh, in the twenties during Prohibition, people who were in favor of Prohibition were called dries, and people who were opposed to it were called wets. So you could say that after after nineteen uh, after thirty two, the Democrats were officially a wet ass party. For a while, they were a dry ass party. They became a wet ass party eventually. In fact, that was one of the uh, the battle over being a wet ass party or a dry ass party was one of the things that led to uh, one of the most contentious U.S. Uh, presidential party conventions in history in New York in 1924. Uh, it was a battle between the forces of Irish Catholic New York Governor Al Smith, uh, who led the wet-ass party, uh, and William McAdoo, who was the former Treasury Secretary under Wilson from California, who led the dry-ass party. Uh, and the wet-ass party was made up of the urban ethnic uh, whites who made up the northern base of the Democrats, and the Dryas Party represented the rural Protestant native whites, who uh, were the other half of their uh, coalition. And they went to pick a, a candidate in 24, and they were essentially evenly matched, and it led to 109 ballots, I believe, uh, which is the most in, in history. And there were multiple kind of small-scale riots and fistfights over the course of, I think it was over a week. I think it was like 12 days. Uh, it was a big disaster. It was like, and uh, meanwhile, the Republicans had a very orderly first ballot nomination of good old Calvin Coolidge in Cleveland and just one in one of the biggest ass kickings of the modern era. But then four years later, Smith got the nomination because over time the, uh, the dry ass party lost its, its uh, organization and its commitment and people realized nobody actually is liking this prohibition shit anyway and they became a wet ass party again. No, I would say Scandinavians, Scandinavians and Germans, for the most part, I would not call ethnic whites. Ethnic white usually refers to the last white people to show up. And so you could have called Germans ethnic whites in the early 1900s. Benjamin Franklin famously complained a ton about Germans and how there were too many swarthy Germans running around. And where the hell, is this even America? Where the hell is this place? Uh, 
But by the time the Irish and then the Italians and the, the like Central Europeans and stuff showed up, they became the ethnic whites. In the Midwest, though, like German Catholics kind of voted like ethnic whites, and they were all vehemently opposed to prohibition, thanks to the beer hall culture. But yeah, uh... Al Smith was a contentious choice, to say the least, when he was the first Catholic nominated by a major party. There was famously a row of burning crosses uh, that, he, that were set up uh, for his campaign train to pass, and that was in Long Island. Yeah, the Whistle Stop Tour was fun. They don't do that anymore. You, you'd think it would be good for Biden. He loves trains, and it would it'd be a way that they could keep him away from crowds, safe distance. Just have him come into a town, have the train just stop, goes to the caboose, gives a little speech in front of an assembled group of uh, reporters who are all socially distanced, and then takes off again. It'd be fun. More fun than this goddamn Zoom bullshit. But no, he's, I mean, thanks to COVID and the fact that he's a million years old, he's, he's taking the, he is taking the William McKinley approach, where you just stay at your house. McKinley famously did not leave his front porch uh, to run for president in uh, 80, 1986. Instead, he had his uh, minion Mark Hanna running around, the guy who uh, was his fixer, bribing everybody from here to Timbuktu in order to Make sure that the bi-medalist populist freak William Jennings Bryan didn't win. Yeah, in the 19th century, it was considered bad form to want to run for president. And you can chalk that up to Victor silly Victorian manners, but I think there was something to it. I think there was even then a real recognition that if someone would want that job, a job of that much uh, pressure and that much scrutiny uh, and more important and most importantly that much power relative to the average citizen there's got to be something wrong with them they should only want that job because they're the only one who can do it and that was that was all through the 19th century that was the case uh, people if there was a contested convention or even if there wasn't the candidates did not appear at their conventions that was considered gauche they sent emissaries to work the floor on their behalf. 
And they gave the speech from, they, they, if they got, if they won, they accepted the speech remotely. And now we have a thing where the presidency is more high pressure, more uh, powerful in terms of its power over life and death, uh, more, under more scrutiny than it's ever been. And now we've decided that wanting to be president is not a disqualifying trait in a human being, even though to me it would seem like the most disqualifying trait you could imagine a person to have. I mean, that was like uh, Bernie, one of the, one of the semiotic, like, like the loaded things about Bernie that maybe was not really true, but his life story suggested it was true, is that he never wanted to be president. I remember uh, fucking that piece of shit, what's his name? Uh, Eric Alterman. He wrote an article about Bernie in 2016 when they were first running the stupid Sandinista thing about how, oh my God, he, uh, he, he was at a rally where they were saying death to America just because America was illegally mining their harbor and conducting economic warfare and having drug-addicted rapists uh, attack their territory on a fucking daily basis. They're saying death to America. And Alterman was not yet at the point where he can say they, that he was wrong to be there. You know, official uh, liberal doctrine is still that the, that the, the Contra war was bad, mostly because it was carried out by a Republican. So they can't say he was wrong to do it. What he said was he should. It shows bad. Uh, it showed bad instincts on Bernie's part that he allowed that to happen. But then you think, well, he was a mayor of fucking. He was a mayor of Burlington, Vermont. You know, he he spent the first forty years of his life as like a partially employed bad carpenter slash political activist. And then he was mayor of Burlington. Do you think he was imagining being president? That kind of thing proves he wasn't. And, and anyone who is the other way, anyone whose life choices are entirely conditioned upon what will lead them up the ladder, has a life that is a horrifying thing that we should all unjustly be revolted by. And yet, we act like the desire to be president is not absolutely disqualifying to the position. Amazing. It's because I guess you're supposed to take their, uh, their word for it that they really believe that they're the only one who can do it. And, I mean, with Bernie, you've got an argument because he's you know, the only, mean, the only like, uncorrupted social democrat to try to run for the presidency in 40 years. But if, it's, if you're like a standard-issue democrat, what the hell personal thing could you possibly have that no one else does that would make you uniquely suited for this monstrosity, this moral crime of a job? Stick-to-itiveness? You understand that the, the strength of America is, is the strength of Americans or whatever fucking horseshit? Foe out of here. Kindly foe out of here, please. Poor Donald Trump. Like, Donald Trump is one of those people who wanted to be president, and Matt proves him is evil, but of course he only wanted to be elected president. <laughs> he just wanted to be elected. And then he had to do it. And it proved not fun, like everything else he's ever done. Oops. Well, the thing about Napoleon is, he actually was as 
talented as he thought he was, or near to it. Obviously, he was not quite as talented as he thought he was, or he would not have done what he did there at the end. And along the way, too. He had a number of fuck-ups. But he was much closer in his estimation of himself than anybody, any of these people could possibly be now. And partially it's because, what did Napoleon do? At every step, he assumed his own ability to do something, and then it did it. He assumed, yeah, I can lead an army into Italy and just rout the fucking Austrians. And then he fucking did it. Yeah, I can take over. I can go. I mean, Egypt was not a success, but uh, he was not personally defeated at any point beyond being able to stop the, uh, to, <clears throat> to successfully seize Acre. He still got a hell of a lot closer than anybody else. And, uh, you know, eventually he re- reached the level of his incompetence when he got started to get owned. And it was to his detriment that he didn't recognize that in time. But uh, the average career path of a politician with a Napoleonic fixation on their own ambition, what, you got elected a dog catcher on, on a platform of fiscal responsibility? And then, what, you, you took some money from your fucking father-in-law to run for house in a district that's shaped like it was made by somebody having a stroke? And then, what, you got appointed to a Senate seat by the governor or something because you saved him from choking on a chicken bone at a party fundraiser? And you're going to act like you're fucking Napoleon marching across the Alps? Kindly foe. Kindly foe. Because none of these guys have anything... None of these guys have ever done anything but worm their way through the political bureaucracy. Exactly. If the level of if the Peter Principle gets you to be Lord Paramount of all of Europe, you uh, you, you, you you're up there. So yeah, I would not mind. I would not mind the ambitions of someone who had their ambitions tested, because if you fail, well, we don't have to hear from you ever again. Yeah, everyone thinks they're Napoleon, and at best they're Napoleon the Third, and that, and still most of them could not pass that bar by a significant margin. All right, guys, I'm peacing out. I'll talk soon. Bye-bye.